Well, it's lovely to be with you uh, this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at God is Holy. And so we read from Isaiah chapter 6, reading from the first verse. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Before we come to God's word, let's bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your life-giving word. We thank you you reveal your truth to us through your given word. And we pray that as Isaiah in the temple caught a vision of you in your holiness and glory, so we, where we are this morning, might catch a fresh vision of you, the God who is holy, the God who is glorious. And we pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives so that as your people set apart to be holy before you and before the world, we might be challenged to live lives that are committed and dedicated to reflecting the beauty of Jesus. For we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Well, a study in the attributes of God is just what the doctor ordered for us during these challenging and difficult times. Focusing our attention on the wonder of who God is and the amazing things he has done for us lifts us up out of our difficulties and struggles because of this present pandemic. It gives us a new perspective and a fresh vision of the God who created us, who loves us, and who has redeemed us in his Son, Jesus Christ. It inspires us to draw closer to him, to deepen our faith and our love and our commitment to him. Already in our series in the Attributes of God, we've looked at the themes of God as majestic and as righteous. This morning, I've been asked to lead us 
in looking at the theme of God is holy. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, Moses was filled with awe and wonder as he considered the holiness of God. Who else among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is glorious in holiness like you, so awesome in splendor, performing such wonders? What do we mean when we say that God is holy? Well, we mean that God in his very being and in his nature is majestic purity, God is so pure that he cannot even look upon sin. In Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13, we are told, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Personally, that's why I believe that darkness covered the earth when Jesus took our sin on himself at the cross. It was as if the gaze of the Father was averted from watching his Son take upon himself your sin and my sin. And at that very moment, as darkness fell, Jesus felt that desolating loss of fellowship with the Father. And he cried out in the darkness, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his systematic theology, Louis Berkhoff describes holiness as that perfection of God in virtue of which he eternally wills and maintains his own moral excellence, abhors sin, and demands purity in his moral creatures. <clears throat> and it's particularly that last phrase about demanding purity in us that causes our hearts to miss a beat. Most of us have a hard time grappling with this quality we call holiness. And yet we hear the voice of God speaking in Leviticus 20 and 26. You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people. Just as God's holiness sets him apart from all others, so we are reminded that we must be separated from all those things in life that defile us if ever we are to live holy lives before God. 1 Peter 1.15 reminds us, Now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be his children, is holy. Honestly, we don't find that easy. And there are times when living a holy life doesn't seem appealing or attractive to us. Having just listened to a long sermon and had his ear pulled several times by his dad for fidgeting, young Johnny walked out of church with a big frown on his face. What's the matter, Johnny? asked one of the deacons. You look sad. The frustrated youngster quickly replied, I am. It's hard to be happy and holy at the same time. Well, that's a very negative way of thinking about holiness. But it's not so long ago that the concept of holiness was associated with negative ideas like not wearing makeup, 
not going to the pictures, not going dancing, not going to the football match, generally not enjoying yourself. Somber, sober, and severe was the essence of what many evangelicals considered to be the way to holy living. But Andrew Murray, the South African preacher and theologian, set the record straight when he said this, holiness is essential to true happiness. Happiness is essential to true holiness. If you would have joy, the fullness of joy, an abiding joy that nothing can take away, be holy as God is holy. Holiness is blessedness. So when God says, you must be holy because I am holy, it's because he wants us to live life to the full in the way it's meant to be lived and so to experience genuine joy and fulfillment. The holiness of God shouldn't frighten believers, but it should assure them that God is eternally good and pure in who he is and what he does. To help us understand how we can be holy, we need to focus on God himself in his holiness. And we see there, first of all, intrinsic holiness. There wasn't a moment in time when God decided he would become holy. He didn't develop holiness over a long period of time. God is holy and always has been holy and always will be holy. Holiness is intrinsic to his being and nature. When Isaiah had that incredible encounter with God in the temple, he heard the seraphim declaring God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We ought to remember as we come to worship God, we do this because he is a holy God and is worthy to receive our adoration and worship. 1 Samuel 2.2 says, No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. Psalm 99 verse 5 tells us, Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Because our God's a holy God, everything about him is holy. His name is holy. Psalm 105 verse 3, Exult in his holy name. His ways are holy. Psalm 77 verse 13, O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? Psalm 98 verse 1, he has won a mighty victory by his power and holiness. All those things that are connected to God become holy by virtue of his holiness. Heaven where God dwells is God's holy temple, Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. God's people are a holy people, Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. You are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. 
And that's reflected from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, into the New Testament, under the New Covenant, in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And because of that, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, his very own possession. And wherever sinful people have a life-transforming encounter with the living, holy God, that place becomes a holy place because the holy God is there. The burning bush, Moses was told, you're standing on holy ground. Joshua had a similar experience near Jericho when he met with God and was told, take off your sandals for this is holy ground. And for many of us, this church is holy ground. For we go back in our minds to remember many times when we've encountered this living, holy God, and he has touched our lives and transformed us. He has commissioned us and sent us out to be his servants. God is intrinsically holy. He is the source of holiness. No one and nothing apart from God is intrinsically holy. It's only through him that we can share in his holiness. So as we look at God's activity in human life and history, we discover holiness is an active quality, not a passive one. First of all, the holiness of God actively reveals sin. When Isaiah was confronted with the holiness of God in the temple, he was immediately convicted of his sin, and he cried out, my destruction is sealed, for I'm a sinful man and a member of a sinful race, yet I have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The holiness of God revealed the sinfulness of Isaiah, and he was filled with a spirit of conviction and of contrition. Around the end of the 19th century, a young minister told the eminent Scottish preacher, Dr. Alexander White, that an acquaintance told him he could go several days without consciously sinning. He asked the older preacher whether he thought that could be possible. No, sir, White replied. No man who has seen the exquisite holiness of God would say a thing like that. The holiness of God actively reveals our sin. But isn't it true that people who live the closest to God are those, the very ones, who are most conscious of their sin and their unworthiness. That was true for Isaiah. It was also true for Job, who said this in Job 42.5, I had heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. It was true for Peter who said to Jesus in Luke 5 and verse 8, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. If we would live and walk closely with God, then we need to be prepared for the pain that comes when we discover 
just how sinful we are. The holiness of God actively reveals sin, but the holiness of God also actively opposes sin. God's holiness is his absolute and uncompromising standard against which everything and everyone is measured. God is holy and cannot coexist with sin. He is never ambivalent in his reaction to sin. His holiness condemns and judges sin. The moment God ceases to actively oppose sin, that moment he ceases to be holy. And in our own lives, we'll never be holy if we've a passive acceptance of our sin. It's so easy for us to look at others and to criticize and condemn the sin we see in their lives and yet remain silent and complacent in the face of our own sin. But the person who lives really close to God and who has a strong desire to live a holy life must deal ruthlessly with personal sin. And to be holy as God himself is holy, we must actively oppose sin at all times when it reveals itself in our hearts and lives, and we must oppose it with a crusading zeal. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Seek to live a clean and holy life, for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So, God is intrinsically holy. But when we look at God, we also see, secondly, incarnate holiness. Supremely, God made holiness visible in the life of his one and only son, Jesus. You remember Gabriel said to Mary in Luke 1.35, the baby born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. And for 33 years, Jesus lived a life of unblemished purity and holiness on the earth under the full gaze of man. It wasn't even as if God gave Jesus preferential treatment so that he could live a pure and holy life in a sinful world. If anything, Jesus experienced greater temptation to sin than any one of us ever will, simply because he was the Son of God. Satan knew that God's purpose in redemption would fail if he could cause Jesus to sin. And so Satan gave Jesus his exclusive attention. And although we read in the scriptures of Jesus' temptation as a single event in the wilderness at the beginning of his earthly ministry, the actual reality was that he was under constant pressure of temptation. The temptation he faced didn't stop when Matthew 4.11 says, then the devil went away and left him. He faced temptation every day. Jesus had to be perpetually on guard spiritually so that he could live a pure, perfect, holy life before men. So, the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus faced all of the same temptations we do, 
yet he did not sin. That means he faced the temptations of pride and lust and greed and selfishness. The pressures of these sins were familiar to Jesus. He fought against them all and gained victory over them all. I think the secret of his spiritually victorious life was that his greatest motivation was to please God. In John 6, 38, Jesus said, I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do what I want. That supreme desire to do the will of God and to please him enabled Jesus to live a spotlessly pure and holy life. And that's the secret for gaining victory over sin in our own lives. We must really want to please God and do his will in everything. And we'll never live a holy life by trying to please others or by pleasing ourselves. We'll only make progress on the journey towards holiness when we live to please God and do his will. And that will mean making fundamental choices like choosing the way of sacrifice. For Jesus, the pathway of holiness meant choosing to walk the way of the cross. That's the same choice that confronts every Christian who wants to be holy. We must be willing to sacrifice our desires, our ambitions, our lives to gain a Christ-like purity and holiness. As Dr. Jim Packer said, when a man knows God, losses and crosses cease to matter to him. Paul presents the challenge this way in Romans 12.1. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll know what God wants you to do, and you'll know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Do you want your life to be a living and holy sacrifice for God? Then you have to be willing to sacrifice all for Jesus, as John Stainer's lovely hymn says, all for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my being's ransomed powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours. Choosing the way of sacrifice and then also choosing the way of sanctification. Holiness and sanctification both have to do with the concept of separation. There are two aspects to sanctification. Sanctification is a separation to God, but it's also a separation from sin. Our lives cannot be set apart for God unless they've first been set apart from sin. Sadly, there are some Christians who think they can have what God offers and what the world offers at the same time. Nothing can be further from the truth. Some try to live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, but it just can't be done. And what's more, God won't allow it. Choosing the way of sanctification is saying yes to God 
and no to the world. Speaking of that pagan world, God tells us in 2 Corinthians 6:17, come out from them and separate yourselves from them. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. I will be your father. You will be my sons and daughters. If we really want to know God in that way, our response has to be clear and unambiguous. And Paul, at the end of that passage in 2 Corinthians 6 on separation, climaxes it with these words in 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body and spirit and let us work towards complete purity because we fear God. But even though we strive to be pure and holy like Jesus, even though we choose the way of sacrifice and sanctification, we'll only attain that holiness on that day when we're taken up into his nearer presence. While I'm here on earth, I'm on a journey towards holiness. But as the old gospel hymn says, I'm only ever a sinner saved by grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Intrinsic holiness, the very nature of God himself. Incarnate holiness revealed perfectly in Jesus and finally imputed holiness. Isaiah 6.6 shows us that this is what God did for Isaiah as soon as he confessed his sin and his worthlessness. Then one of the seraphim flew over the altar and he picked up a burning coal with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. And God has done for us in Jesus Christ what he did through that burning coal the seraphim took from off the altar. He has cleansed us from our sins. And his holiness has been imputed to us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, God alone made it possible for you to be in Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made Christ to be wisdom itself. He is the one who makes us acceptable to God. He made us pure and holy, and he gave himself to purchase our freedom. In Ephesians 4.24, Paul says, You must display a new nature because you are a new person, created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. It's an amazing miracle of grace that through Jesus Christ our Lord, Every Christian stands before a holy God as a holy person. And that gives us amazing confidence 
We're able to own the words that Isaiah said in Isaiah 61.10. I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. You and I who believe in Jesus, who have entrusted our lives and our future to him, you and I who own his name and call ourselves Christians, have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We do not come into the presence of a holy God bearing our own righteous deeds. All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags in his sight. But we come into his holy presence clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Our God, my brothers and sisters, our God is a holy God and he calls us apart to be a holy people belonging to him. This morning, we're faced with the challenge to choose the way of holiness and to make the prayer that Zechariah made in Luke chapter 1 and verse 75 our prayer, that we might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness forever. Please join me in prayer. Our Father, you are a holy God, and we bow in humility in your presence this morning. We are, like Isaiah of old, conscious of our sinfulness, aware of how our sin offends you and grieves your heart, but how we praise and thank you for Jesus, the one whom you sent to be our holy Savior, to give his life pure and spotless in exchange for ours on the cross of Calvary, taking upon himself all our sin bearing its punishment, taking our place, and paying the price. And we thank you that because of his finished work, we this morning, who own your name, are made righteous and holy in your sight. Help us, Father, in all that we do, to choose the way of holiness, to sacrifice ourselves for you, and to seek to honor Jesus in our lives so that one day we might joyfully acclaim him when he comes for us. So bless us, we pray, in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.